Hello, and thank you for listening to this midweek Lenten podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnais, Illinois. This is a sermon for Ash Wednesday, February 26, 2020. The sermon is entitled, To Seek and Save, Unbind Him, and is based on John, chapter 11, verses 20 through 27, and 38 through 44. It was preached by Pastor Carl Copen. Mercy and peace be yours this night, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for the message comes from our Gospel reading. We pray. Almighty God, you have come into our world, a world of death and grief. In those moments, you fill us with hope and bless us as we look to your word and as we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our maker and our redeemer. Amen. Author by the name of Edgar Jackson, uh, sort of graphically, if you will, describes grief in this way. He writes, grief is a young widow trying to raise her three children alone. Grief is the man so filled with shocked uncertainty and confusion that he strikes out at the nearest person. Grief is a mother walking daily to a nearby cemetery to stand quietly and alone a few minutes before going about the tasks of the day. She knows that part of her is in that cemetery just as part of her is in her daily work. Grief is silent, knife-like terror and sadness that comes from a hundred times a day when you start to speak to someone who's no longer there. Grief is the emptiness that comes when you eat alone after eating with another for so many years. Grief is teaching yourself to go to bed alone without saying goodnight to the one who's died. Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different when you know that they are not and never will be again. Grief is a whole cluster of adjustments, apprehensions, uncertainties that strike life in its forward progress and make it difficult to redirect the energies of life. Grief. Imagine the situation, maybe you don't need to imagine if you've experienced terrible grief. You're standing at the gravesite of a friend or loved one. There is that illness or tragedy that's followed by death. It was, it was expected, yet at the same time, it's always unexpected, isn't it? Those experiences are followed in turn by all the things that happen, all the preparations uh, uh, for a funeral, for a memorial service, uh, uh, the burial and the graveside service, notifying family and friends, uh, all the unwelcome and yet necessary activities uh, accomplished under the weight of, of the sorrow and loss. But finally, the funeral is over, the graveside service is finished, your loved one is laid to rest. But then four days later, a close friend arrives, someone that was not able to to be there from time for the service, and so he wants to go to that graveside, and, and you take him to the cemetery, and there you're standing by the new grave marked with wilting flowers, and your friend says, open the grave. Now, that's a sort of horrifying thought. And in such circumstances, it sounds sort of unkind and a terrible thing to say. But that's the way the events unfolded at the death of Jesus' friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. Hearing of his illness, Jesus, according to God's plan, did not immediately hurry to his friend's side. He delayed his journey 
and did not arrive at the home of Mary and Martha until four days after Lazarus' death. As she greeted her Lord, Martha gently rebukes Jesus for arriving too late to help her brother. And yet at the same time, she's expressing this faith in Jesus. Words are likely very similar to our response when our prayers for help and healing are not answered in the way that we had hoped. She said, if you had been here, things would have been different. How many times have we prayed the same prayer? Lord, if you had been here, it'd be different. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus promises your brother will rise again. Now, Martha knows that Lazarus and all believers will rise to eternal life on the last day, on Judgment Day. And yet, she does not understand that the source of that life and resurrection is standing right in front of her in the flesh. She says, I I know that he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus turns Martha's attention to himself, the one who is the source of unending life. Only because of his resurrection will those future resurrections take place. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She believes, she confesses. Her faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, asking to see that grave Jesus is taking to the tomb, a burial, a great cave carved out of rock and sealed with a great stone in front of the door. And standing at that grave, Jesus commands the unthinkable, orders that the stone be rolled away from the opening. Even faithful Mary protests, saying, as we all would, her brother had been dead for four days. I think it was the King James has her reply saying, he stinketh. (laughs) It just didn't make sense. No sense at all. But Jesus promises that they will see the glory of God. Tomb is open. Jesus calls out to his dead friend, Lazarus, come out. And he is restored to life. He comes out. Bound in his burial shroud, his hands and his feet, his uh, his face covered with strips of, of linen, and Jesus commands and bind him and let him go. John tells us that there were a lot of people that witnessed this miracle. Because the events take place near Jerusalem, news of this miracle would spread and, and Jesus' fame would increase and his enemies would hear about it. He had raised people from the dead before. There was the son of the widow of Nain. There was the, uh, Jairus' daughter. But this was a greater miracle still, a man who had been dead for four days. This miracle is a brief glimpse, a preview, if you will, of a far greater miracle to come for Jesus himself. You see, the enemies of Jesus, the Messiah, were now plotting all the more seriously to kill him. But also this miracle is a brief glimpse of what has already happened to you and me. It's a miracle that took place when we were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We had a baptism in this morning's chapel at at school. It is a glimpse of a greater miracle still to come for you and me on the last day when Jesus returns. 
You know, we are like Lazarus, aren't we? Dead in sin, from conception and from birth. We're the walking dead, bound up in the grave wrappings of sin and death, unable to free ourselves. Lazarus could not come forth from the grave because it was his own idea. He was dead. It was Jesus who called him to life. We are all dead in sin. We are all just as helpless. We are unable to remove the deadly wrappings of sin, unable to rise to new life without some kind of outside force working on us, acting on us. In our baptism, we were brought to new life. New life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We were buried with Jesus, as we heard in our second reading, joined to him, connected to him, linking his death and burial, linked to his death and burial with him. We're lifted from those baptismal waters, raised to new life by the work of the Spirit, creating faith in our hearts, freeing us from the, the bindings of burial, cloths of sin and death. Raised to new life in Jesus, a, a life of love and service to others in Jesus' name. In 2012, Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs, one of our professors at Concordia Seminary, went through the death of his father, John Gibbs. Uh, the following Lent in 2013, he wrote an article talking about his comfort and hope in the midst of death. I'll share it with you. He writes, This week I'm thinking about his hands. They were large and strong hands that loved to work with wood, strong hands that were skilled at the plane and the lathe, Many of the items in the house were created by his labors on the lathe and the saw. Dovetail was a term that had a literal meaning for him. This week I'm thinking about his hands. I'm talking about my father, John Gibbs. Last year, in the week of Advent 2, age 87, he died. He died. That's the most basic, profound, spiritually true thing I can say about him. I can say other things about him, of course, because the Spirit of God kept his baptismal faith alive from age 27 all the way through the end of his life. So he's resting with Christ in a way that is true and good, even if we know precious little about what that rest is like. He's no longer suffering. Yes, that's true. He's in a better place. Well, not exactly. I mean, part of him is. Wait, wait no. A piece of him? If I weren't thinking about his hands, I guess this would not be as complicated. If I didn't think that John Gibbs' body was he and he was his body, it'd be simpler. But that wouldn't be true. My father died. He became my father when God blessed the union of his body with my mom. It was his body, his hands, his heart, his arms, his feet, legs, and mouth. And now he's in the ground. Among those who are called in Scripture the dead in Christ. He was a human creature designed by God as a unity to live and breathe and have hands and arms and to be alive. Also a sinful human creature with an inheritance from Adam to which he had made his own deadly investments. He was a sinner. He lived in a fallen world and by, by God's grace, calling with his ears, he heard the gospel of Christ and his body. He was baptized. And with his mouth, he ate Christ's body and blood, and then my father died. I wish he were alive. I wish I could see and grasp his hands. My father's death is not an imagined loss. It's real. My grief is not caused by my own selfishness or anything like that. My 
father's broken, he's dead. I, I grieve because of a true, profound loss. The promise of his rest in Christ, though true, doesn't address this loss. It doesn't speak to it, it doesn't do much good. It presents his rest with Christ. My father is not all that God intends him to be. His hands are powerless, powerless because he's dead. I need, my, my father needs someone to speak to this loss. There are another pair of hands that speak to this loss. Maybe some of the items in the house were also resulted from the labor of his hands, skilled at the plane and the lave, the Lord of all eagerness, of all faith. I believe the hands of Jesus were strong enough to overturn tables, gentle enough to welcome children. What were the gestures those hands made when he rebuked a storm or obeyed him? Or when he, made, when he spat and made mud and recreated the eyes of a man born blind? My father's hands were real. Jesus' hands were real. Because of our rebellious world is filled with loss and sin and death, the hands of Jesus were stretched out. Rather than driving the nails himself, nails were driven through his hands. And like my father, Jesus died. For my father, Jesus died. The creation convulsed. He took part the place of sinners. All the torment of the tormented world was on him, and he died. If there would be hope, someone had to speak to this loss to do something about this loss, and someone did. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Hands were strong once again, but strong in a new way. They were still bearing the marks of the nails. Now his hands were no longer subject to weakness or even death. Risen, he no longer mastered by death, and he never will be again. Easter is the solution for the reversal of loss. On Easter, God reversed the world's verdict on Jesus. On Easter, the Father vindicated the Son, and, in, and he never left the Son, the Son of God with power. And Easter means that my Father's hands will not always be still and powerless. Not always, not forever. A great day is coming and it's guaranteed. We have pictures and images, of course, banquets and gardens and rivers, all is true, just not precise. And then he writes, here's a picture that may not be true, but it might be. I picture Jesus reaching down into the ground, driving his hand powerfully into the dirt and finding my father's hands. At his touch, at his touch, there's life. And my father rises pulled back to life by the power of the Lord. The loss will be removed and God will be glorified. That is my hope. That is my loss. That is my song during Holy Week. My friends, during this season of Lent, as we remember our Lord's suffering and death, we remember too that forgiveness that he won for us on the cross we repent of our sins of thought, word, and actions, our greed and our gossip and idolatry, all of our self-serving desires and our lack of forgiveness for others. We ask God to forgive our rebellion and unbind us, right? Unbind the deadly con uh, confining wrappings of our sin. Jesus said of Lazarus, unbind him and let him go. Jesus says about us when we are baptized, unbind them and let them go. Let us go to live, to live unbound and free from sin and guilt as we go about to church in our neighborhood and to the world to love and serve others, 
as we carry out the daily work given to us by God? Let us go into the world to witness our Savior's love, that we tell others about his suffering, his, his death, his resurrection, telling those who are still bound tightly by their sin about forgiveness, about the freedom that's given through faith in Christ. Finally, on a, still, a day to come, if we're still living on this earth or if we've fallen asleep in death, we too will hear the call, the command that Lazarus heard. When Jesus Christ returns in glory on that last day, we're going to hear that Lord's command come out. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the dead in Christ will be raised bodily from their graves, raised, changed, glorified. And those still living will also be changed, glorified with them. Jesus raised Lazarus again to earthly life. But at some point, Lazarus died again. We are raised to life on the last day. Lazarus is going to be there too. With all the baptized saints, he will once more hear the Savior's command, come out. And we will too. Unbound and alive with our Savior. Amen. Please stand. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Kankakee, Illinois. You can find this and other podcasts by going to stpaulslutheran.net and clicking the sermons button at the top of the page. Thank you for listening and God's blessings.